Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 30. In this episode, I talk with Sam Larson, founder and owner of Woodsong Wilderness Outfitters, runner-up of season one of the TV show Alone, and a Jack Mountain alumnus. We also recorded this as a video that you can check out on our website at blog.jackmtn.com. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. I'm your host, Tim Smith. I'm a registered master main guide, and in 1999, I founded the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School. We help people become more skilled, more knowledgeable, more experienced, and more confident outdoors by using traditional skills, a few simple tools, and field-based experience. Whether you're looking to go from city slicker to competent outdoor professional, want to experience a remote expedition, or just want to learn a few new outdoor skills, we've got you covered. You can check out the show notes to this and all of our podcasts at blog.jackmtn.com. When you're there, click on the podcast button. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Lastly, the best way to keep up with our programs and trips is to join our email newsletter. And you can do that at jmbnews.com. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast. We're doing this one a little bit differently for the first time with a video stream. It's live as we're doing it. It won't be when you're watching it. But I am joined here with my old friend, um, Sam Larson, out of Lincoln, Nebraska. How are we doing today, Sam? I'm doing excellent. How are you, Tim? I'm doing great, thanks. This is uh, this is a stretch of my technological understanding and capabilities <laughs> to uh, to pull this off. So, you know, if, for those of you out there in podcast or video land, you you know, t- treat us gently with a grain of salt, <laughs> right? It, I am not a technological expert, so anyway. yeah, you know, I'm not. I'm not either. Um, the, I'm happy things are getting like easy now. It's yeah. not, you know, you know, five, 10 years ago, you had to actually know about stuff to like do stuff. Was, now these companies just make it super easy for you. And you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I can do that. It was so but, uh, incredibly complicated. I remember like, I'm going to date myself, but I remember before YouTube, a friend and I shot like a silly little video and we were trying to like put it on the internet and it was the hardest thing ever. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's yep, yep. much better now that you just plug things in and hit start and it starts. So that's, right, right. that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it used to be difficult back in the day. I'm like the worst millennial ever too. You like- so I'm the same. Like, I, I don't know how things work. I don't have like a, a Snapchat or anything like that. I, I'd rather not make myself look like a puppy, you know, <laughs> You know, I, I think I don't even know what that means. Advances in the poop emoji are exactly what they they may seem to be. You know, it's not not something that really concerns me a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> so just to get everybody up to speed, Sam here uh, came out to the field school in northern Maine. Was it? I don't remember what year it was. It was a while ago. You were a young guy who had just graduated from high school. Yep. And I, I've got some old photos. Maybe I'll trickle out to uh, to prove that. Um, <laughs> uh, but had a great experience with us, or at least I think it was. It was good enough for you to come back the following summer. Had spent some great time with our mutual friend Tom Moore, aka Whiskey Jack, uh, aka the Tomahawk, 
and we could probably go on with about 50 more AKAs, but uh, <laughs> in the mountains of Arizona and has since um, embarked on your own career of, of teaching, instructing. You've done some some television work, you know, so so where are you at now? You're you're still in Lincoln, Nebraska, correct? Yeah, I'm still in Nebraska. I, uh, I, I leave the state a lot for uh, instructing and teaching sometimes. Uh, most of the instructing I do in the state is for really young kids, like elementary age. Um, so I do quite a bit of that, uh, depending on the season. And a, a writer, I published uh, a book back in December. Uh, and then beyond that, uh, you know, I'm an, I'm an accidental showbiz person. Nice. Uh, you know, I never... Never actually wanted to necessarily be on TV, but the opportunity came up and it sounded like fun, and so I, I did it. And uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's where we're at now. I'm doing a lot of writing, uh, freelance instructing, and looking at definitely some some pretty great future plans for the rest of 2018. Uh, I think things will be going probably a lot different this time next year as far as the teaching scene. Got some things up my sleeve that I just can't reveal yet, but. Uh, yeah, that's that's where that's what I'm up to at the moment here, and awesome. uh, the the thing uh, the thing I find interesting is I talk about like I was there when I was 18, so I'm I, I turned 25 this year, so seven years. It doesn't seem like seven years to me, at least. Wow, um, makes me feel old. But, <laughs> <laughs> so so Tim over at at, at the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Campus, it's not like right off the right off the main highway type deal like you are in the boonies when you get there um and, and when you go on your canoe trips you're even more in the boonies you know way way more than just at your regular field school even but uh one of the things for me you actually you're there on campus the whole time it's not one of those like commute there week type programs and it's also um you know you're, you're living outside the whole time when i was there we didn't have the well dug yet. There was one structure on site, and uh, yeah, we're, we're bleaching our water every day, our drinking water, and so it was. Well, maybe not was, every uh, day. Not every. <laughs> <laughs> no. Everyone hates the jerk who puts too much bleach in the water. You're like, man. Yeah. But, well. Uh, yeah, and but you've you've done like some crazy things to to the the field school since I was there. Like you, you dug a well when I was there. What, what have you been doing at the school since then? The biggest thing is the fifteen thousand square foot casino and ballroom that we put in last year. Uh, no, just kidding. Uh, we've you know trickling in the infrastructure at the field school little by little, year after year. So um, you know we finished off our one main uh, office cabin. We built a twelve by twenty four foot pavilion. We, we got a library cabin from the Amish up there where they will build it, throw it on a flatbed truck, and just come and drop it off so there's no construction on site. Obviously a well. Um, we've got a pond. Uh, and this year coming up, we're going to uh, build a, a second teaching area in the whereabouts that we call Moose Vegas, which is our student camp. Um, so we're going to clear some clear a little bit of ground there and maybe put in a second well we'll see good times in moose vegas yeah by the way if you're not if you're not familiar moose vegas is yeah it's it's kind of around down the trail from your primary camp and it's it's kind of like a little more swampy and tons of moose and so 
as everything gets a fun nickname there, you know, that's your Moose Vegas. We uh, actually, we saw- uh, we've got a friend who's one of the editors for Down East Magazine, and they did an episode a while back where they had a map of Maine with like five or six kind of colorful things thrown on there. So Moose Vegas was in a graphic in Down East Magazine. So Nice. <laughs> Made the cut. Makes it legit. That's awesome. Well, it's, <laughs> to me, a lot of people might be thinking like, Ah, uh, you made you know you put another cabin on it, you know, and, and your your bushcraft camp. Come on, you know, why can't you just rough it and and all that? But uh, the the fact that it has a couple amenities at this point, I think, is really beneficial to the students that come because a lot of the work you want to get done there is is pretty academic, um, not in a boring kind of way, but in like a it's nice to have a a little warm place to study for a little while and to look through books and to store books where the mice won't chew them up and, and stuff like that. So um, I, I think it's awesome that you've been able to, to kind of make all these improvements to uh, to your school. And uh, probably the biggest uh, improvement, I guess we should probably talk about like actually what your big deal is because you run week-long and occasionally like weekend little courses but your bread and butter is the immersion courses. So tell us a little bit about like what are the the long term courses that you do um, at sure. Jack Mountain? Yep. Uh, so we run a nine week semester course. We run it in the spring and the fall. Uh, most years, I think in nineteen, we're only going to run a fall one, and we'll talk about that later. Um, but yeah, nine weeks. People come, they camp, and live on site in tents and shelters they build themselves. We go off into the forest on extended canoe trips, um, you know, basically cooking every meal over a fire for nine weeks and um, learning all the the plants, the mammals, the natural history, the skills. And these are uh, college accredited. So we have uh, two articulations now, one with um, Western State Colorado University in Colorado. And we just got on board with the University of Maine system, specifically the University of Maine at Presque Isle, which is our local branch and and we're also covered by the GI Bill so we have a lot of diversity in the students who come out you know lots of returning veterans as well as college students and then you know other people who just want to go out and spend a couple of months living in the woods so it's a neat it's a neat mix awesome yeah it's great so like what are your that that's like some serious stuff not everyone is just like oh yeah I think I've got a, a spare two months in the fall that I can go hang out with uh you know, become a, a guide or, you know, learn about how to guide people in the outdoors. What, what, what are the primary demographics of the students that you get? Um, that's really difficult. It changes year to year. I mean, I can look back and say who's come before demographically, but it's very difficult to sort of look forward and prognosticate on who's going to show up next year. So it's always interesting. It's uh, I like to think that we have probably the most colorful characters that are walking around on planet Earth. You know, a lot of them tend to spend a few months at our place, right? It is never, ever boring. Um, and the, you know, there are just a lot of just camp shenanigans and, and hilarities that, that go on. And it, it, it's, it's sometimes it's pretty ridiculous, but we still manage to get quite a bit done. Um, but yeah, we tend to skew... We're a little bit less than half uh, military veteran at this point. 
um, maybe 25, 30, maybe even 40% college students uh, that are actually going for college credit. And then there's always one or two sort of older folks on a course who are just, you know, looking for a change. Yeah, absolutely. So it's important to know that like you've got all these, all these different folks, um, around because you know the the rumor was out for a short amount of time that it was kind of like a hippie hangout <laughs> at the jack mountain school which i is remember really, hearing really, that <laughs> really not true at all you know a ton of veterans at this point with the gi bill which is awesome it's great to see them all um i even had a a friend a buddy of mine who's a veteran here from nebraska who did your your fall program last year so sure, it's great yeah. to see the the veteran folks, uh, you know, heading out there and doing that and, and really, uh, making it a great time to, to have in the woods, learning a new career and, and just being able to be more self-sufficient out in the natural world. And Um, especially for the veterans, um, you know, we are not a therapy program, but it is definitely is therapeutic to spend several months out, you know, and, you know, there are some people coming back that, that have some issues and that have some challenges and, and you know we like to we like to think that that for them spending two months in the woods without all the pressures of of 2018 you know is very is just good for the it's good for the heart good for the soul good for the head and um, again we're not a therapy program that's not what we set out to do in the morning to get accomplished that day but just being outside kind of living by the rhythms of the sun and the moon and and all that is very therapeutic. Yeah, one of the things that you kind of learn when you've been in the outdoors for a while is that mother nature is like really the best instructor for you. So you don't have to be a great therapist if you structure your, you know, if you structure your program correctly, mother nature takes care of that. Uh, you know, you don't have to necessarily tell people, uh, like, Hey, this is the best knife to use. If you put them in the situation where they have to answer to kind of like the natural world, the natural world will teach them that rather than you having to tell them like the, uh, Right, so you can you can just go out and see for yourself. Hey, is this the best knife for for bushcraft? Well, why don't you spend some time in the woods, and then Mother Nature will will tell you <laughs> yourself. Yeah, that's what we people show up. We've had people show up with all kinds of goofy knives and goofy equipment over the years. And you know, something I learned very early on in this line of work was that never say anything bad about anybody's stuff, right? Because for some reason, it, it's like you know when you walk into a, a car dealership. They sort of size you up and, and they figure we're going to show them this line of car because they think that it'll be like an extension of your personal ego. So you never yeah. trash talk somebody's knife. But, I, I, you know, people will say, hey, what do you think of this knife? I say, I don't know. Well, come back and ask me again in two weeks. And I guarantee we'll know if it's good or not. You know, yeah. That's like, sort hey, of a... uh, you know, <laughs> Amazon still deliver here, Tim, because uh, <laughs> we're thinking of... Uh, very, very good stuff. Yeah, it's it's always interesting. We even had uh, one of my best best gear memories of Jack Mountain was our our mutual buddy Big Fish, who uh, would walk around in his uh, his Crocs and wool uh, wool socks around camp from time to time. <laughs> Got pretty well known for that. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> so on the topic of like like higher education stuff. Um, You've done a lot of it, right? You've done how many semester programs at this point? 41 long-term immersion so programs. So 41 long-term immersion programs. You'd be hard-pressed to like find another program that's done 41 of the – and that's since, since 99, right? 
Yeah, we're a, a this is our 20th year and I like to say that we're a 20 year overnight success. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean when it and when it comes to it back then late 90s it's like most people didn't even know the word bushcraft in the late 90s. I used to I tell this story often, but when when I started this uh business and I said, you know, bushcraft, they're like People assume that I was the guy that took the clippers and made the bushes look like Mickey Mouse at Disney World. Is that Topi area? It might be, but that's what they thought bushcraft was. Um, yeah. Anyway, and, and now the pendulum has swung all the way to the other direction where, you know, the term bushcraft in many regards, in my opinion, has sort of jumped the shark in that, you know, if you go onto some online forums, they're like, what are the best bushcraft pants or the best you know yeah. it's just like most things when they become popular they get completely co-opted by the marketers and now it's all about you know selling usually crappy pieces of gear so right that's where we're one at the, now exactly one, one of the many lessons i learned at the jack mountain bushcraft school is that if uh if anyone tells you there's one way to do something they're probably trying to sell you something that's so true <laughs> so true did I come up with that or did someone else? I don't know. It might have claiming been uh, it. Yeah, claiming it. it. Yeah. Okay. It's mine. Original. Love it. It's not. Um, that's awesome. So, and I think we should also go back to like how we met, kind of for the first time, because I just shot you a random email basically, and was like, "Hey, I'm in. I'm in high school." <laughs> that was a, yeah. I was a senior in high school, I believe, when I emailed you for the first time. And, uh, I said, you know, what, uh, how would this benefit me? What do you do on this course? So I'm going to kind of throw that back at you and say that you got an email from a person who is like 17 or 18. So they're like fresh and new and they want to be a bushcraft instructor, like just blanket. They want to teach bushcraft or survival skills in North America <clears throat> What do you what do you tell that person? What's the best way for them to go from uh, like a high school punk uh, like me, like I was back then, to a qualified bushcraft instructor, like full full circle um, through you and through you know anyone else you can you can think of if you want to mention any other programs. So we live in the era now. I'm going to say this, and then I'll do my sort of canned response to that hypothetical young cool. person oh yeah yeah but we live in the era now where uh we are living with the myth of the overnight expert and the instant instructor where everybody wants to go from knowing nothing to being like a full-blown you know celebrity whatever uh you know without putting in their dues and it just takes a lot of time and expertise to be able to learn something and to get really good at it so I use the example of how they register main guides now, but it could be maybe any trade that you don't go to being a master main guide after you've had your guide license for a year and you've led one or two trips, right? At this point in time, it takes 10 years to, to become a master main guide if you've had your guide license for all 10 years. So, but you know, let's put it in another industry. If you were an electrician and if somebody could pay a little bit extra money and become a master electrician after three weeks, like you want that guy wiring your house, 
Like, I don't, you know, I'm happy that if I take my kid to the doctor, I'm usually pretty happy that they have to go to school for a long time and prove that they know what they're doing and really immerse themselves in it. Because if, you know, if someone could take a weekend, I'm going to fix up your kid workshop and then hang their shingle at the local hospital and you're, you know, whatever, you can sort of see the, the route that I'm going down. So the, you know, the long and the short of it is for a young person who's really interested in being an instructor, um, you know, you just got to put in your time. You've got to, you've got to go on those trips. You've got to, you know, light a couple of hundred friction fires, spend lots of nights out. Um, a good friend of mine, <laughs> I was visiting him a little while ago and it might be on a previous podcast of ours. Uh, Jeff Butler said, you know, he was talking to a, a martial arts instructor back when he was in the Canadian army. And the guy said to him, he said, listen, Jeff, everybody wants to be a black belt, but nobody wants to get punched in the face over and over again. So, <laughs> you know, if you think about becoming a, a, a reputable bushcraft or outdoor skills or survival instructor, you know, don't think about standing in front of a group at a big rendezvous and everybody's oohing and eyeing over you. Think more about all those horrible nights when you're laying out in some crappy shelter getting eaten alive by bugs or soaking wet from the rain or, you know, it's bitter cold out and everybody on the trip is having an attitude and, and all those things. Because that is what's going to make you reputable and competent. You know, putting in the time, essentially to use that other metaphor, you know, getting punched in the face over and over again. That's how you get the black belt. Um, yeah. See, I wouldn't know because I've never gotten any bug bites or been wet before. <laughs> I have pictures of you. One. I was looking through some old photos and I have pictures of you where it was like you had the smallpox. I don't know if it was your arm or your leg, but it was like, is that a human under those welts? You know, you couldn't really tell. <laughs> if you send me that picture, I'll plug it in here just I, so, so people can I'll see. It's ridiculous. It. See if I can. It's find very it. bad. <laughs> very bad. I have scars from it. Scars to this day. Do on you my really? Arms oh yeah, yeah I do. Well, and from years and years after that, because it does, it never changes. You yeah. know, every summer I'm, you know, they're everywhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, and I mean, I would I'd agree with you on that. As far as like long term, if you know right away, you're like. I want to be um, a bushcraft instructor. Here, here's a follow-up to that. Do you think that college has to play a role in someone becoming a really good bushcraft instructor? Or in what way would a college degree be beneficial in that? Because there's lots of different ways to go about becoming fully educated as like a primo bushcraft instructor so your thoughts on that i want to be on record as saying that more education is never a bad thing but you know i think that we've in the modern world maybe taken education and and made it sort of job training and i think you'd be very hard pressed to find a university education that's going to be good job training for being a bushcraft instructor that being said, you know, the more well-read you are, the more you know about the natural history of the area, all those things, probably the better off you'll be in the long run. But as vocational training, you know, and especially in this day and age when college prices are going through the roof, and, and tell me about it, I have two kids, uh, they're not quite old enough yet, but it's definitely coming down the pike and it makes me nervous. So the... Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's necessarily a requirement, but it would never it would never hurt you, um, except maybe financially. Yeah, <laughs> except if you're going to like out of state university and it takes you 
you know, nine years to graduate or something like that. Yeah, with some going to a hundred thousand in debt, but that's not every. Yeah, and that's. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It's it's kind of the same way I feel about it. Like you can, if you actually know a hundred percent that you want to teach people in the outdoors, you can just pursue it for years and years of intense study and be awesome uh, at being. If you're actually talented at you know teaching and you enjoy that. Um, but say you're someone who wants to teach bushcraft and survival, but Hey, you also want to study it through the realm of like anthropology. Well, then you should probably go and, you know, find a good university and study anthropology or whatever for, you know, put in those years, uh, if you want to spec, you know, be specific in that, that realm of, uh, of study. Um, Definitely. I think they call them, I think they call them majors. Uh, I've, I wouldn't know, but, uh, and for context, Tim, you have a, you have a, a master's in education, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. Undergraduate uh, actually in anthropology. So, oh, Hey, there you go. There you go. I think I knew that, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's actually like real common in the, well, I mean, not super common. It's more common to find like an accountant who is like, man, I hated my job and then became, you know, a instructor somewhere else. But. They're not. The world isn't interested in 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 the story of someone who knew what they wanted to do and went and did it. The world's yeah. interested in the story of like the, this former Facebook executive decided to pitch it all and go teach bushcraft, right? But if right, you've been right, teaching right. bushcraft for twenty years, those those reporters writing those stories just don't care. There's right. no there's no hook for them. It doesn't matter to them. Right, right. I'm gonna try to double sync my audio here let me try to this is this is sam working magic i'm doing a magic trick on there we go okay that should work that's awesome yeah the uh it, it's interesting to see because you you don't want to send someone into like a bunch of debt like that's why we're, we're kind of on polar opposites of like the educational field so like you went super academic but also um you know did other very specific studies in like botany and things of that nature uh, whereas I just went straight into like career, like strict career training and like personal adventure endeavors. So it's pretty, pretty interesting. Um, but like for me, I probably recommend like definitely do an immersion program. Definitely do that. Um, definitely do something that involves you teaching somebody, whether that's teaching at like a, a community nature center, like what I do or the um, kind of the, the wilderness therapy programs are really, really good. Like Anasazi out West, um, mm-hmm. lots of other Anasazi is like the, the big one, uh, you know, Wingate, the, all those. Um, I see a lot of people go into there and they spend so much time teaching skills to people who don't want to learn those skills. And it makes them really, really talented and makes the person very well-rounded. So I, I, think you know the second you turn 21 if you think you're up to it that's that's a good thing for people to to look into if only for you know during the summers uh it's a it's a good deal in my opinion um are there any like course wise any other schools that you'd say this you know this program is worthwhile worth doing you know uh I'm off the grid for six or seven months of the year. And to be honest, like I don't, you know, my knowledge of this industry is, is probably 18 years old. So I, you know, I'm not even sure who's in business anymore. 
that much, you know, unless I see them personally or, or, you know, keep in touch, like, like we keep in touch. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't really know, to be honest with you. And I'd hate to, to lead people astray. Um, I will say though, just, just to follow up on that, that, you know, for someone who really wants to, and, and we've got a couple articles on this on our, or at least one article on our website that would probably be good to link to for that young person to read that, you know, there's several ways that people have made a living doing bushcraft and those include uh, making and or selling gear, uh, guiding trips or facilitating experiences, and then teaching skills. And then in a lot of, well, as with any sort of job, there's, there's two main ways that you go about it. Either you look for a job working for someone else or you create a job working for yourself. So probably the longest and hardest route is to create a job working for yourself teaching skills. Because the skill sets that you need to pull that off, <laughs> you need to know your stuff, right? You need to know exactly like what the skills are. And number two, you need to know how to teach them. So you need a background in education. And it doesn't have to be a formal background, but, you know, knowing how to teach somebody things. Number three, you need those business and marketing skills to be able to, to pull off running a small business. So, you know, there, there are lots of books um, out there. The one that comes to mind is the E-Myth, and I can't remember the guy's name, but basically he says, if you really like being a baker, don't open a bakery because then you're not going to bake <laughs> very much. You're going to then be forced to like do accounting and write ads and do all these things. So, you know, I think the myth is for someone like me, who's been doing this for, for two decades is that every morning you're out, you know, at dawn casting a dry fly to a rising trout. And that's just not realistic. You know, there's a lot of time spent behind the scenes doing background stuff Do you know, for example, how many, how many times a week do I take trash to the dump? <laughs> you know, we, we have an off grid camp, but man, we sure end up with a lot of like cans and bottles and plastic wrappers and stuff. We, we compost everything that'll rot, but you know, there's the going to the dump and scrubbing toilet buckets from the human manure system and, you know, all the really glamorous <laughs> aspects of, of running a school, right? Yeah. And on, on the topic of being off the grid, when Tim says he hasn't really kept up on things for the last 18 years, the, the first thing I learned when we, uh, we met for the first time, we went to a, a grocery store to like get a couple staples like potatoes and, you know, just you know, stuff like that, dry goods. And, uh, he pointed to one of the tabloids and he says, this is where I get all my news. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so for the last year, he, he can't tell you like general things that have happened. Like, you know, if there's an earthquake in, in uh, Bora Bora or wherever, I don't know. He, he probably hasn't <laughs> heard of it. He knows who the Kardashians are, are dating or married to or how many babies they have, though. So he knows the real important details. He just Celebrity you know, breakups. Yes. Yeah. I'm an amateur yep. celebritologist. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's another thing to add, you know, about it, when you live in the woods, you know, for my program, it was, you know, at least like four or five weeks the first time when I came back, it was another like two or three weeks. And, and, uh, you know, Tim is really humble and stuff when it comes to bushcraft, but he's just a complete jerk when it comes to, uh, nineties pop culture. You know, you, you just can't, he just thinks he knows everything about it, so it's well. My popular culture references ended in 1993, right? Like that was when you know I left undergraduate, didn't have cable TV or anything like that, and so yeah, 
they always I see these uh, headlines like greatest TV show ever retiring after ten years or something, and I've never heard of it. So that's the <laughs> you know I'm the that's one awesome. guy I've, I never saw what was it NYPD Blue? That's probably an off the air forever. That you know I still think oh that's that new show or you know yeah, NYPD Blue. Never seen Game of Thrones or any of that stuff. So yeah, yeah. I, I don't miss Game it. Game of Thrones. I don't. I uh, haven't. <laughs> Anyway, well, I have a friend who's a boss instructor, though. On the other side, you know, if, at this day and age, if you really want to, I have a friend who's a boss instructor who who won't miss an episode of Game of Thrones. He'll find out some way. He's probably he's probably missed a couple, you know, if he's out teaching or or something like that. Oh yeah, but, like the uh, technology <laughs> these days, it's hard to. I like to jokingly say, in uh, 1995, my undergraduate degree, fresh in hand. I bought a $500 12-foot-long travel trailer and dragged it up to Alaska and lived in it for a year. And it was awesome. I loved it. But that was the last time I've ever really been away. Because for me, anyway, that was pre-internet. Um, you know, there weren't cell, cell phones. Maybe some people had them. I didn't have them. So this was still in the era, and you might not even get this, but there was this thing called long distance where calling somebody on the phone, if they weren't in the same town as you, cost like three bucks a minute. So, you know, I was scrapping by financially, and I'm certainly not going to make like $40 telephone calls on a regular thing. So when I left, I remember I shook my, gave my uh, parents a hug, shook a couple of friends' hands, said, hey, I don't know when I'll see you, um, but I'll see you sometime. And, you know, I, I wrote physical letters, you know, because that was still, I don't know what a stamp was back then, you know, 20 cents or whatever, but everything else was just super expensive. And now you can go anywhere and you're, you know, you're not off the grid. What was it? Some guy on the international space station. I saw a headline, watch the star Wars movie. They just like zip uploaded it to him. And <laughs> so now I see people in the field. They're on our courses on long expeditions with, you know, sat phone hookups and they'll download their show and watch it in their tent at night. So, you know, no really, it's really? a, uh, yeah. So to, to sort of cut yourself off from that at this point, it's a personal choice, right? It's not like the technology isn't there to uh, to keep you firmly, you know, on the on the hook, if you will. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like right now, at this point, uh, high speed internet in like no matter where you want to go in the world is pretty easy. Like you get a big enough satellite dish, hook it up, and you're like you're ready to roll. Yeah. Um, a, a couple glitches from time to time, but it's really not a big deal. Um, uh, that's something I've learned in the last year that that's possible. I was like, Oh my goodness. But, uh, we, we should probably touch a little bit on, tell us about your year. So you went to Alaska after undergrad for a year, lived out of a, a little tiny 12 foot trailer. Right. And, uh, tell us about why'd you go there and what'd you do as part of that experience? Because I, there are some little nuggets in there that you did that are just really, really interesting. So we did a, I met some people, we did a 30 day primitive camp, in the uh, Kenai National Wildlife Refuge um, the summer before. And then the guy who was kind of hosting, he and I hit it off. So I came home. I had a couple of family responsibilities at that point. When I, when I got out or, or finished those, uh, purchased the trailer, drove up there, and, and kind of he mentored me a lot with regards to wild plants. He was an awesome uh, fisherman and, and definitely got my uh, fishing skills up to snuff up there, you know, with big Alaskan fish. It wasn't, you know, catching smallmouth bass on or largemouth bass in ponds and things. It was, you know, big 
king salmon, red salmon runs. So, um, yeah, and just had a just had a blast up there. I also worked with that guy washing windows, and we're still in contact to this day. Still great friend and mentor to me. So you washed windows. You didn't you also did some some botany studies up there? Oh yeah, I took a community college class at Kenai Peninsula Peninsula College with Boyd Schaefer, the flora of South ah the flora of South Central Alaska. Uh, awesome class, awesome guy, like just epic, totally, totally fantastic. Nice. And then, oh, gosh, there's so many like interesting things. Were you in a You wrote a letter to to Dick Prenicky too. Like, yeah. The big so Boyd, alone in Alaska guy. So, so pe- people would be interested in this. What? How'd that go down? Boyd Schaefer, who taught the class, the botany class. Uh, I, he knew Dick somehow. And we got to talking, and, and this was before he had written a, it was basically his book, but it came out in a magazine called Alaska Geographic, like years before. And then, so I wrote him a letter, he wrote me back, and I still have the letter. I think it's, I think it's right over here, but I'll, I'll look for it in a second. We did a blog post you could link to where it's the letter scanned in Dick Prenicky's handwriting. It's a few years old, but... Anyway. We'll link that up. That'll be in the show notes, guys. Yeah. In the show notes, if read, I remember, and see. I won't. But <laughs> you can <laughs> see Dick awesome. Prenicky's handwriting. Um, yeah, but I was just a young guy, and I just sort of asked him about his life and and asked him if he had any advice to someone who was really interested in kind of living in remote places and stuff. And you know, he he didn't know me from Adam, so he uh, wrote back a very nice letter, and you know, I still have it to this day. And it's funny. That's awesome. It's always funny, like you do things when you're young. And then, and then 20 years later, that person that you interacted with becomes this huge celebrity and everybody knows your name. And you're like, Hey, look, there's the letter from, you know, so-and-so. So that's <laughs> kind written, of neat. And written letter. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. So again, talking about technology, just wrapping that bit up was that for me, that was the last time it was really like you were away. Like our field school, yes, we're off the grid. There are no wires that come in, but there's a cell tower three or four miles away. So you know, ironically, someone can be in their primitive shelter that they built, looking at their phone on YouTube, reading about or watching videos about primitive shelters, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> the irony isn't lost to me. The, the beauty of Maine, though, is that um, so many spots in northern Maine, most of it, there is no cell coverage still because it's just remote working forest. There are no towns or anything. So uh, that's a good thing. But if, you know, if people are hooked up with the satellite technology, which gets easier and easier every year, then that's not a that's not a thing so we've actually had discussions and and amongst our staff we will have discussions about do we want to bring is this the year we want to break down and get a satellite phone or get a satellite hookup for safety and (laughs) yeah it's a you know it's a conscious decision and we've always said no because that really changes the mentality of the people on the trip um whereas if you have that expectation of rescue uh you know maybe you take more chances than you need to. And I was actually quoted a couple of years ago, interviewed in, I think it was outside magazine or Nat Geo or, or one of them. Anyway, they were talking about people who had gotten lost and what's the, what is the role of, of technology in the backcountry? And you know, that expectation of rescue, that, that expectation of having that lifeline to the outside world increases the risks that people take, you know, anecdotal. I don't have data to, to back that up. Um, so, you know, to this day, we still say, Hey, if we're going off for a couple of weeks away from where there's cell coverage, we're consciously not bringing that level of technology to let us call back. 
And who knows, maybe in a few years, the insurance companies will require it um, and maybe we'll have a change of heart and say, hey, we're going to start carrying that technology. We've also been very fortunate in that, you know, we're really on people, um, especially on remote expeditions about safety, right? Like if someone doesn't know how to swing an axe safely, I don't want them on a trip with me because if we are somewhere far out and someone chops their leg, like trips over right then, and it's just a basically a rescue operation to try to get them to the hospital before they lose a limb. You know, and we all have the required medical training and things, but again, it's just a, it's a conscious decision to limit that amount of technology. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And very, very important to know that like before you go off on most of these big trips, you spend some time at the field school where you're, um, I mean, when I was there, we, we were cutting trees basically every day, Yeah, you know, every day using an axe, using your knife to, to prepare things. It's part of a lifestyle element of the training. And so when you go on those big, long trips, you're not you know terrified that someone's going to lose a limb or it, it still could happen, but it hasn't. Right, and all these yeah, knock on wood. years hasn't happened yet. <laughs> you know, we uh, actually added in. We have prerequisites for our longer trips now, in that people have to have studied with us, and we have to kind of know them. Just because the you know having people show up and on day one of like a two week snowshoe expedition trying to cover how to use an axe safely, verify that everybody's using using it safely, then snowshoe five miles and set up tents and get firewood and it's just too much so so we now have uh some prerequisites for uh, participating on those trips nice very nice so uh i think i'm asking all the questions this is also for tim's podcast (laughs) so we should make it a little bit about me yeah so what tv show no shortage of things to you know (laughs) talk about (laughs) You were what on TV show was a yeah. I oh, know, but um, I want you to tell the audience. Oh, the most the, the last okay yeah. So uh, have you been on the more last than one? one? No, <laughs> <laughs> I've been I've been pretty heavily involved in the whole like uh, casting scenario. Like if if you ask how many have actually been on, it's one. If you ask how many I've been a part of, it's closer to like three or four. Nice. As far as like getting into the casting and then learning about things. So definitely being a part of casting in multiple shows tells you quite a bit about like the politics of the industry, which is never any fun. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I started in showbiz because it was an outlet to spend more time outside. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically almost four years, just less than four years ago, I got a phone call that said, Hey, they're doing a new show where uh, they're dropping a number of guys. They're all, all going to be completely alone in the wilderness. It's just going to be them, some camera gear, and they get to choose uh, 10 items to survive with. And we're going to do it. Uh, they didn't tell me this at the time, but about three weeks before we flew out, they said, Hey, we're going to British Columbia. Um, and uh, that show became what is now alone on history. So I was on the first season and uh, it was it, surprisingly, it was exactly what they told us it was going to be, which probably the first uh, survival television show in history to actually be what they told <laughs> people to be, uh, you know, going into things. So yeah. literally they, they, I flew in on a seaplane, we, you know, we landed, they said, 
actually uh this this producer is in the plane behind me and he he points at a little tag like one of those little hunting trail marker tags and he says you see that that's where we left your camera crap and then they pull over and take <laughs> off so that's the last thing anyone said to me hey your camera crap's all under the tree uh i love the voice and, then, use. I exp- and, and we left you some cigarettes too <laughs> <laughs> yeah we left you some cigarettes and a beer and some nudie magazines in there so you know uh but uh, not that but uh but and by the way they don't do that just bring you fun stuff every once in a while it's you know very strict like competition wise that, that's like the what alone is the competition you know for for money but really it's it's about an experience and a a really awesome solo experience and i remember i kind of sat on a log and waited for the tv magic to come and and uh produce and then nothing happened so i said oh i better get a shelter set up and and uh i i ended up leaving 55 days later and going back to nebraska i was i was second place on on uh, that first season there and it's just it's been fun to watch the show grow and progress and, and give so many people with uh, a really good skill set the opportunity to go out and kind of represent uh, what they do, whether it's, you know, herbalism or, you know, bow hunting or uh, crafting, incredible craftsmanship, um, all these great things. So I'm, I'm really happy to have been a part of it. Cool. And uh, yeah, I, I, I love it. I'm glad the, the experience ended up a, a positive one. Nice. So. I remember it's a very small like world of of people who are uh, I don't know how to put this, but we get calls all the time from like casting directors and people who are like, "Hey, we have the show idea. What do you think of it?" And I remember when they called and talked about alone. They're like, "We're going to take ten people and drop them off in Alaska, and they're going to have to survive in for real." Last guy standing wins, and I'm I remember talking to the guy. I'm like there is no way that you're going to be able to pull that show off. Right. And, and <laughs> just because thinking of the logistics yeah. involved and the permits and whatever. And so, yeah, super excited that, uh, that they were able to do it. Super happy for you that, that you had a great experience there. Um, and you know, good for them for, I, I spoke to somebody from, uh, from there recently last winter. I, I don't remember exactly when, um, and just congratulated them on, you know, the success of the show and that it's, it's still going and it still has a, you know, it's got a pretty rabid fan base, which is, which is awesome. You know, in this day and age, I think that the, you know, the pendulum with survival TV had swung so far that, you know, the, the phone would ring every day and every day yeah. it was a stupider <laughs> idea for a show. And you're just got to the point where you're like, thanks, but no thanks. So it's <laughs> nice that, you know, the, one of the ones that is authentic is is still going you know but um anyway yeah and like in my opinion if alone ever it's taken off the air it'll be because one the crew is so stinking tired of being in the field for that long with no access to the outside world you know you take it's tough on these producers they grab them from you know if you get some guy who's just off with real housewives of baltimore or whatever and you're like okay your next show is alone what do i do oh well you you sit in a, a tent and you wait for someone to tap out and then you go take them out of the woods with a medic. So it's like, it, it's a yeah. big deal. And then on top of that, it's just the, the risk factor. Like it's, there's a legitimate risk if you're in the woods, if you're someone who makes a mistake. Uh, last I checked, you know, uh, unless you're an alien, you're probably going to make a, a few mistakes when you're in the woods. Um, we're all human. And, uh, or even just the nature it. of the woods, right? Even if you don't yeah. make a mistake, I, I worked on, um, 
first couple of seasons behind the scenes of Naked and Afraid. And during the pilot, one of the producers got bit in Central America by this snake. I think it's called a Ferdinand snake. Um, anyway, he was like in the hospital, almost died. They had to airlift him back to the United States. Like, so, you know, those things can happen. And yeah. Uh, so even if, you know, we always like to sort of say that, if anything bad happens, oh, that person was stupid or whatever. But, you know, nature's full of, of things that'll get you, even if you're right. at the top of your game. That's why they call them accidents. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I, I still go by the the realm of thinking where you're safer in the woods as long as you know what you're doing um, than you are, like, driving a, a vehicle. Like, to this day, when I go out to the woods for a really long time, come back into town, and I have to ride in a vehicle, like, it's terrifying. Because you're in this little tin can, and you're going 75 on the interstate. It's, it's terrifying to me. It's so risky. You were but in the we car with, weren't you in the car with Greg when you guys hit a moose coming into the field school one night? <laughs> I mean, you were going two miles an hour when it ran into you more so, but is that, yeah, true? that was you, right? That was me. Yeah, that was me. We're, we're driving up. That's a, that's a long, hilarious story about, uh, you know, love and, and friendship and moose and uh, <laughs> mini golf is also involved. I could see so, why, though. Like I would be I've hit I've hit a deer before and I've almost hit up by the field school. If you drive at night certain times a year, you're going to have to slam on your brakes because of moose. Right. It just it's yeah, just a part everywhere. for the course. Uh but and they're really huge animals, and I could definitely understand your take that as a man who's survived a moose crash, that to be terrified of automobiles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was a that was a hilarious crash because we're in this Pontiac Sunfire, which if you're not familiar with cars, it's like it's basically the smallest vehicle Pontiac has ever made. It's just a little <laughs> tiny vehicle loaded with like, and we're we're like sunk down on this thing because we've got like a wall tent in there and all of our gear and stuff, and we're heading up. And we, we left way too late because these guys are just obsessed with playing mini golf. So we were playing mini golf in in Ogonquit, Maine for so we love these guys, but it, it was just it was funny. We got a little a little late start playing mini golf in Ogonquit, Maine. And uh yeah, we're we're going up. We're like, man, we gotta be real careful for moose. And then five minutes after one of us says that, the moose comes out, this huge cow moose, and we're going real slow. We slam on our brakes and she's kinda keeps running and I remember she was running and her legs just like hit repetitive you know in the front of the vehicle like doo, 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 as we were as we were trying to slow down and uh, uh it'd be great if Greg sees us because the first thing he said after we did that was I gotta call my mom I gotta call my mom <laughs> <laughs> oh it's so good I, I still have again I was looking through old photos the other day and I have the photo that we took the next day of like the moose impact on the Pontiac Sunfire and, you know it wasn't like the thing was total it was a little dent on the front court yeah it was a little like, dent when it came out but you still Crazy. hit it. I mean a moose made it you can still claim and no one can call you a liar that yep I survived a moose crash I hit yeah we hit a moose we had a moose strike whatever they call it <laughs> there's like a code for it up there in Maine yeah we got a L7 or something like that awesome man that's great that's great but uh, you've actually had quite a few of your students like go on reality TV and consistently do really, really well. Yeah, we. Uh, I think if we had to put it together, we could put together the reality TV dream team uh, of Jack Mountain alumni. Um, you know, Ryan Holt, uh, a.k.a. UConn, crushed it on Naked and Afraid and went back on their 
I think it's XL, like their sort of greatest greatest hits version. So he crushed it a couple of times. Yeah. Um, so so Ryan Ryan Holt uh, is kind of well known for being the guy who killed an alligator yeah. on uh, in the Everglades. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Which is, by the way, that's that's not an official skill being taught at Jack Mountain. Last I checked, is alligator hunting, but you know, learning a few basic concepts about about bushcraft. You yeah. Got a little little boomstick together, kill kill the alligator, and then uh, uh, Jens Rasmussen as well did really really well on his show. Yeah, where they uh, migration was it? They hiked across Africa. Migrations, yeah. Yeah. Again, like I haven't seen most of these. <laughs> I hear about them third hand. Uh, but um, anyway, you know, I just super excited for everybody. And, you know, like in the case of you or Ryan or Jens, you know, I think that it has much more to do with the fact of the, the person that we're drawing to Jack Mountain than anything that they learned on the course, you know. Uh, so I would applaud you and your exploits um, and certainly wouldn't want to try to take any credit for any of that. But, you know, I just think that it's, it's awesome that you've had such uh, success with that. And, and, you know, who knows what the future will bring. And I think it's great. Definitely. There, there's that, that kind of uh, kinship in there of wanting to do some wilderness travel, you know, wanting to actually go out and have legitimate adventures rather than, you know, sitting around talking about the, the best and brightest and, and most uh, extreme bushcraft knife that we can fall off cliffs with and, and still get out alive, right? Yeah. you know? So, so it's a lot more about, uh, just really enjoying ourselves in the outdoors through, uh, you know, proper canoeing skills, proper camping skills, uh, learning how to, how to cook in the wilderness, um, things of that nature. Actually, Tim, that was a segue planned segue. Tim has actually written a, uh, a book that is a, a very good, uh, I have it in the, in the vicinity here, just not close enough to grab, but, uh, uh, selling for, he's not making any money off of it, but he's selling it on Amazon for like less than 10 bucks or something. And, uh, yeah, this, this, uh, book is basically a rundown on your outdoor cooking system. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. It's called the woods cook. Um, and it's just the systems that we use to manage, food to manage cooking kits um and then a few recipes uh on remote expeditions or just living somewhere without any infrastructure so it's not you, you know nothing that we do is is trying to be like a bestseller or become the flavor of the week but you know if we think that it would be useful to people maybe before they come to a program or before they go on a long trip of their own you know that's why we put it out there that hopefully you know someone would find it find it super useful and uh we've had pretty good feedback with it i don't know it's been out there for four years or so and i think we've sold 11 copies my mom just bought 10 of them uh and then you're number 11 so hey lucky number 11 yeah as you know, you know in 2018 yeah. if you want to get rich and your name isn't stephen king you don't plan to do it by writing books but, no but there's a really good you know it's really useful to to put things down on paper and to commit to the writing process because it helps to get your head wrapped around uh, the the problem, so to speak, and um, you know put it down for posterity. Yeah, I was actually working on a, a vampire bushcraft novel for teens. Nice. Um, I think that'll be real successful. But otherwise, yeah, better better for doing it just for the the sake of learning. That's um, the name of my band is uh, Teen Vampire Rock Band. 
You heard it here. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, anyway, good book on... uh, Got My my headphones are broken, so I just shove them into my hat. I was wondering about Um, the hat. That's... uh, (laughs) That's good. Yeah, I have to. improvisation right there. Yeah, so my it's something you learn at Jack Mountain. Is, you know, I, my headphones broke actually, so they they banned part of them. So I just have the ears. So uh, I just shoved them into a hat. Nice. And then they they fit, and you know it's been flawless up until about twenty seconds ago <laughs> when I fell out. Awesome. Awesome. Well, great. Any uh, I mean, I I touched on everything I wanted to touch on. Do you have anything else you wanted to mention here, Tim? So yeah, other other than uh, not really, but can you just tell them for our listeners and and viewers because we'll put this online. Um, how do they find you? Yeah, so I am at woodsongwilderness.com. We're actually revamping uh, the entire website, um, adding you know the, the podcast and blog and such. So I. I blog there, I podcast there, and so for learning about anything, uh, appearances, so to speak, which is just whatever bushcraft gathering I decide to drink coffee at uh, at the moment uh, for appearances and anything like that. So woodsongwilderness.com is is my personal website. Uh, Sam, what's my Facebook name? What am I on there as? On Facebook, I am... Awesome technology loading. Sam, it's okay. So Samuel Larson dash Woodsong is what I'm under on on Facebook. And then Tim to end your jackmtn.com. Yep. And we've got a bunch of websites, but you can access them all from there. Like this past year, we did a whole back end reformulating where we put the blog on a separate thing and we've got a whole bunch of stuff. So, but you, it's all easily linked together from there. Yeah. Nice. And, and an excellent podcast as well, right? Yeah. We're on social media, but don't follow us on social media. Don't, don't bother. They just changed all their algorithms. You'll, you know, you'll click like or follow and you'll never hear from us. So <laughs> go to the source in 2018. It's the year to, uh, to go to the source and, and, you know, eliminate all the, the Zuckerbergs of the world from being middlemen. <laughs> and it's, it's, uh, Jack Mountain Podcast is what it's under. There aren't a lot of bushcraft podcasts, surprisingly. Well, there, there's a lot of like prepper podcasts or whatever, but for, for actually talking about bushcraft, there's not many. Um, and so it's pretty easy to find. So Jack Mountain Podcast. Um, so awesome. Awesome. And I've got nothing else. I My, my brain uh, has run out of things. I've been uh, fresh out of ideas for 15 years. I was recently told by a, a psychologist, like a literal psychologist that uh, she's like, has anyone ever told you, you like probably have ADHD? And I was like, well, you're the doctor, you know? <laughs> I was recently told that I'm so well-rounded that I have no point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll be here all week. Try the fish. End with a, let's end with a pro tip. So I'll give one pro tip and then you can give a pro tip. Uh, okay. So I'm not really my, sure what a pro my, tip is, but I'll, I'll try to learn from the context of your pro tip. Yeah. So my pro tip is when you're guiding a group of people, when they arrive to camp, what you should do is you should steal all of the, the head guides jokes and tell them to the, the newcomers in the camp before the head guide comes in so that when he tells the jokes, it's just a bunch of blank stares. 
it, it's, it's something that I employed as a teacher's assistant under Tim. We'd get new students rolling in and I'd tell them all of his jokes. And then he rolled in and he was like, huh, was it the presentation? The past is all coming together for me. It's like a buzz puzzle pieces are just fitting together now. Uh, yeah, my pro tip is never have teaching assistants. It's just a horrible idea. <laughs> Nothing good will come out of it. <laughs> hey, Sam, listen, it's been awesome talking to you. I've got to go cook uh, some dinner for my for my kids here. But, hey, uh, great talking. Let's do it again before too long. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much. You have a good one. You too.